people, hello and welcome to Blockchain Insider. I'm Mauricio Magaldi, Global Strategy Director for Crypto at 11FS, and this is episode 185. I'm joined by my amazing co-host, Kai Sheffield, head of Crypto Visa. Kai, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. I'm excited for this series. We're, we're going around the world. We're learning about crypto in different markets, and so I've been waiting for this. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be a, a great episode. Yes. Yeah, I'm also excited. So uh, a couple of episodes ago, we started taking a look at the global state of crypto to find out how the sector has grown and developed globally and see what challenges it's had to tackle while fostering adoption. We had some amazing insights from our fantastic guests, Jess Holgrave and James Smith, who helped us really dive into this topic and fully dissect it. Make sure to give it a listen if you haven't already. In today's Insights episode, we're starting to zoom right in. For this show, we want to focus on a booming region, Nigeria. Join us while we explore how the past couple of years have shaped this country's crypto sector, what exciting new projects and initiatives are coming out of Nigeria, the challenges they face, and as always, what we hope to see in the near future. To do that, we are joined by amazing guests today, Welcome, Bucci Okoro, CEO and co-founder of Quidax. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? It's really good to have you with us. Um, thank you, Mauricio. I'm quite glad to be here. I'm a huge 11FS fanboy, so um, really good to be here. Thanks for having me. We're glad to have you. And we have Maya Cattle, Chief of Staff at Nascoin. Maya, welcome to the show. Super grateful to have you here today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and it's great to be on Blockchain Insiders, been on Fintech Insiders, so it's great to be with the Crypto Native um, podcast now. <laughs> Checking all the boxes, that's great, <laughs> cool. Okay, so before we dive in, just as a reminder to the listeners, the views or opinions of our panel are their own and don't necessarily reflect those of the companies that they are representing. And as always, nothing we say should be taken as tax, financial, or legal advice, so go do your own research. So let's kick this thing off. We're going to start off with a very beginning so we can paint a full picture and talk about what we're right now and how we got there. So I'm going to start with you, Mai, on a regional scale. How do you see the current state of crypto uh, in, a wide, in the wider region uh, in, in Africa and how does it kind of map into Nigeria? So when we look at crypto across the continent, um, generally there's been a few trends. So my personal view has always been that globally, and especially focusing more on the West, crypto has been a solution without a problem. Whereas on the continent of Africa, we see the being core utility for crypto, um, whether that's you're looking narrowly at DeFi, right, for example, accessing um foreign or international financial systems and the privileges that let's say as a westerner we have um whether that's having stable currencies right or um, being able to access more advanced lending services etc and so i think crypto has helped to open africa up to that we're still at the very early stages but beyond that um, what we're seeing beyond the utility, um, I think traditionally or hist over the recently, um, the crypto space in Africa has predominantly been dominated by centralized exchanges. That's a lot of what the initial wave was building towards and around. Um, we are starting to shift out of that. You are seeing other projects really starting to thrive, um, especially those looking at more the infrastructure layer and level. Um, so whether that's looking at on and off ramping, um, etc. And we are also seeing other 
projects come to light as well, um, especially more DAOs, whether you have investment DAOs like Panda DAOs, whether you have more um, talent DAOs also emerging, whether you have NFT projects, etc. cetera. Um, so we're starting to see that evolution. But I guess to go back and to summarize um, what I've said, so generally across the continent, we have seen centralized exchanges were the initial big wave of innovation. Um, we're starting to shift beyond that, um, which is a really exciting time for the continent as a whole. Um, and also there, has, there is a lot of utility on, that we have on the continent. Um, DeFi, of course, has led the way and that's that's to be expected because if you think about it, fintech has been one of the key things that people have been talking about when it comes to Africa as a whole. So it's not surprising that you'd see a similar um, or a mirror um, situation, mirrored situation in the context of Web3. When we then look at Nigeria specifically, Nigeria is following similar trends. Of course, some of that has been shaped partly by regulatory, uh, the regulatory environment in Nigeria, which I know we'll go into further um, later on in the show. Um, but Nigeria is very much following that sort of trend. The one nuance that I do see in the context of Nigeria versus, let's say, some other, um, some of the other larger economies, most notably um, Kenya, is that I think in Nigeria we're seeing it more tech-led. Um, we're starting to see creatives also entering this space on a larger scale, but it's very much more heavily like led by tech, which is not a bad thing. Um, so yeah. Thank you, uh, Bucci. Um... Picking in one point uh, that Maya raised about the regulators helping shape what crypto can and cannot be, uh, what is the extent of that influence and what are the builders building under that remit and outside of the remit that makes sense into the current country landscape? What is what is your take on that? Um, the regulatory conversation is actually quite... Um is quite large, right? Now, the most impactful regulatory event for crypto in Nigeria was 5th of February, 2021, right? Some of us call it P2P day. Um, and that's the day that the central bank came in and said, um, no, no banking and non-banking financial institution can serve, that's licensed by the central bank can serve um, any business um, like Quidax, that's a crypto exchange facilitating exchange facilities, um, and then also crypto traders as well. So you had a lot of clamp down, you had fines and all of that coming from central bank on banks and, you know, those um, types of institutions. Now, since then, up until now, it's been over two years, right? And what the businesses have had to do is we've had to sort of innovate around um, that regulation to still create a world where um, our customers, people who are real enthusiasts can still um, on-ramp and off-ramp cryptocurrency with the local currency. Um, in terms of regulation, you know, off the top of my head, I think Nigeria is a bit more advanced or at least showing some advancement and interest in um, regulating cryptocurrency and the space in general. So you have last year, around May 2022, you have um, SEC, they came in and then they brought in like a set of regulation licenses for both um, crypto exchanges and other virtual asset um, service providers, right? Um, to the extent that that has gone, that's a, an entirely different conversation, but like there is willingness on their part. Um, and then over the past couple of days, we've been reviewing um, a draft of uh, national blockchain policy, 
right? So that has come through um, and it's come back to the operators for comments. It's not, it's not out in public yet, but like that's, um, that's a show that's from the Ministry of Communication, right? So it's a show of willingness. And then it goes very deep into some of the applications and the things that the ministry is seeing in terms of um, blockchain and their intention of use for blockchain. So a couple of things that they cover is um, innovation, adoption, and then talent building, right? And then they even go as deep as um, calling out specific areas like identity management, um, land registry, supply chain management, right? So it's, it's I think it's a move, it's a show of force. And then it tries to bring together everybody to the table. It brings together operators, brings together um, Ministry of Finance, brings together Central Bank, brings together SEC, right? So we're hopeful that at least this leads us somewhere. But um, on one side, you have operators still doing things to innovate around the regulation. And then you have the regulators at the show some willingness um, to make things happen in Nigeria, much more than I think we've seen in most other regions in, in Africa. Yeah, I, I think it's it could be worth just unpacking a little more that, and this is the first, I've, I've heard about this, the CBN guidance. I've not heard P2P day as it has now become a, a, a holiday to, to some extent. Maybe Maya, could, could you help you know, our, our listeners understand first, like what was the intention of the, the CBN you know, as far as, as understood, what were they looking to do? And then what were some of the unintended consequences and how entrepreneurs really innovated around it, as, as, as Bucci mentioned? So I think um, from this, I can't, you know, I can't speak completely about CBN's intentions because I'm not in the CBN. But from my understanding, at the very least, you know, the CBN went through a phase which many both developing and developed countries go through when it comes to new technology generally. But what we're seeing with crypto, and if you look at the US, at what currently is going on in the US, you can see that this is quite a normal cycle um, for the world of crypto and Web3 as a whole. Um and so I think their concern was very much around, okay, there's this new entity that is coming to the forefront in terms of technology. Um, we're hearing of situations of people being defrauded of large sums of money. We're worried about our citizens when it comes to that. We also do have capital controls in place for a reason, right? As many developing countries have to have um, in order to maintain um, a certain level of foreign exchange and foreign, foreign reserves rather um, that they need in order to survive. Um, so how do we manage, how does cryptocurrency come into play when it comes to that and especially the likes of stable coins? Um, and then also, what how do we man we currently manage banking right we have regulation for that but what does that mean for cryptocurrencies it seems like a very gray dark area you know is it used for fraud is it you know all of these questions that you hear on a global um level right um and so i think their their way of managing this was saying okay we're not banning crypto and that's something that's really important for people to take away from this right a lot of people think that crypto is banned in nigeria it is not what actually happened was that there's a separation there was a separation between tradfi and defi and so as buchi was saying before right um, what we saw was that any bank or regulated regulated financial institution, if they were found to be enabling and or promoting or encouraging their users to trade, engage, etc., with crypto, they would lose their financial licenses, right? And so that led to a separation of TradFi and DeFi um, in the context of Nigeria. And don't get me wrong, we've seen that in other countries and other economies, and there's been attempts in other economies as well. Um, and so 
that was what actually happened, right? The unintended consequences um, was innovation. Um, and that's especially down, especially down the line of P2P, or what I like to call, I, I, I group as indirect um, transactions, because P2P is one aspect of um, indirect transactions in the world of crypto, but it's not the only, right? So we've seen other innovations, not so much in, not just in Nigeria, but in other countries, right, where airtime's being used as a form of currency, right, and a way to on-ramp people into USD stablecoins, for example. Um, and that's why I bracket as this like indirect form of transactions in the world of crypto, because we do use P2P a lot. And it makes sense. It is the predominant way of getting, you know, managing this right regulatory environment, but it's not the only way. Um, and so P2P, peer-to-peer is really big and it works in different ways depending upon what you're doing. But predominantly, it's the idea of you have someone who's a buyer, you have someone who's a seller. Let's enable, let's pull these people together, match them based upon what they're trying to buy, what they're trying to sell, and let them trade between each other. Now, there's different ways of building around that. At Nestcoin, that was one of the first things I did was build a peer-to-peer non-custodial on and off ramp, right? Uh, a lot of jargon, apologies for that. Um, we can break that down later. But there are loads of ways in which P2P systems operate and work. Um, and I'm sure we can br- just talk about that further in a bit. Um, but indirect transfers, P2P being the key thing um, within that was one of the key outcomes of this regulation, the real adoption and innovation around that. That is that is very interesting. And and it's uh it's it speaks to the culture and also uh regional behavior that are uh embedded in, in, in the in the country to to be so prominently uh leaning towards uh the peer-to-peer space. Kai, I'm handing over to you so you can start digging into the challenges in the space. Yeah, maybe one question first is kind of, Buchi, like, what's the mainstream consumer perception of crypto in Nigeria right now? And how much are, like, I've seen the stat, I've seen, like, oh, Google searches are higher in Nigeria for Bitcoin. Like, we've seen all these studies, but just, like, on the ground, what does an average mainstream consumer think? And how does it differ between Bitcoin and stablecoins. Is there a separation where some people are interested in stablecoins but not Bitcoin? Like, what, what's the, the current current perception? Okay, um, so let's try let's try something. We'll first try to split it down the middle, right? Generational divides. The first introduction of Bitcoin, and this sort of ties back to education. But the first introduction of Bitcoin into Nigeria, what made Bitcoin truly popular, were Ponzi schemes. And they were truly, truly, truly popular. I remember very early in our journey, I came into a session. I was trying to educate people on Bitcoin. And the moment I said Bitcoin, I visibly heard someone at the back of the room. This guy stood up. He said scam. He hissed so loudly that I could hear him in front of the room. And then he walked out. Like he did it also dramatically so I could see him, right? Um, so, but you have that experience and it's it's... It's an experience of the older generation, right? However, you have um, Nigeria and Africa in general that has a very, very young population. Now, the young population, the digital natives, they are willing to take risks. They are willing to try out new things, right? So um, this set of um, people are a lot more 
open to trying out crypto. They're the ones who really have the crypto wallets. They're the ones who are driving the Google searches. They're the ones who are um, making, putting Nigeria on the map in terms of crypto adoption and all of that kind of stuff, right? So um, most of them will know about Bitcoin. Most of them will know about stable coins, right? But for us to even get that um, level of adoption that we want um, eventually to see in Nigeria, where it is um, a lot more mainstream than we're seeing now. It's, awareness is really high. Awareness is high because on the other hand, you also have a country where people want to make a lot of money, right? So the moment you tell them anything can give them 50% uh, in one year, everyone is really, really interested. Um, so the awareness is high. The awareness level is really high. You have a lot of people who have bought Bitcoin um, at one point or the other. Um, but when it gets down to actual utility, um, it's not where it's supposed to be. So you still have education to bridge the gap, especially between the older generation and the younger generation, right? And then in terms of the difference between Bitcoin and stablecoin, everyone knows Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is most popular. Um, we're still having to do a lot of education as, oh, instead of using Bitcoin, because when you talk about crypto, the first thing they think about is volatility. And then we're saying to people, I think on our blog, our most popular um, post is what is USDT, right? That's the single most popular post on our blog, right? So we're still having to do a lot of education on um, this is stable coin and this is different between stable coin and um, Bitcoin. This is how it helps you protect against volatility, how it helps you hedge against inflation risk and all that type of stuff, right? Yeah, that's 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 um, what we're seeing on ground. Yeah, and, and then Maya, maybe can you say more about like when did stable coins start? you know, getting some traction. And, and I've heard stories about USDT, uh, particularly USDT on Tron, uh, being used for a number of, of mainstream, you know, payments. Uh, when did this start to happen? And, and kind of what are some of the use cases that, you know, consumers or businesses, you know, are, are finding value in with stable coins like USDT today? So as Bucci said, look, there's still education that needs to happen for us to truly get mass adoption, so to speak. But there are already people using um, stable coins in Nigeria. Um, and it, it's it comes more naturally, I think, than let's say in the West, where it's not always avert as to why would you need a USD stable coin, right? If you're thinking from, let's say I'm British, from a British perspective, I don't need USDT. I, I don't really get the true benefit for me. But if we look at it from a perspective of someone in Nigeria, let's say, right, um, you have the fact that it's sometimes very difficult to access foreign exchange. And that's not just a Nigerian situation. That is a situation in a lot of emerging markets, right? Um, because as I mentioned before, they need to maintain certain reserves or levels of foreign currency reserves. Um, and that means that they typically have capital controls in place, um, which makes it sometimes harder to get foreign exchange of foreign currencies. Um, and so that means that people still have a need for, let's say, USD, right? And so they're looking for other ways to get it. Um, and one of the key ways is through stable coins. And they can utilize that for a number of different things. Maybe they want to, for whatever reasons, they want to save their money in USD, right? And the number of businesses, as well as individuals, do want to do that, right? Um, it's a way of protecting the, the value of their fundamental assets and funds. Um, 
And another thing is in terms of people do talk about remittances, but I don't think remittances is always the best way to capture what is truly happening. I think it's more international transfers. And so that is whether that's in terms of sending money, yes, maybe to family or friends, but actually also there's a key business use case of people who are, let's say, trading and buying goods and services internationally. Um, And think of these as more international traders, right? Um, Send in, how do they pay X person or Y person who's using Z currency, right? The way to do that is using stable coins as a go-between, right? And of course, that requires that the person you are buying or selling with also is willing and able to engage with stable coins, which isn't always the case. Um, but that is one of the use case that we're starting to see develop and emerge. And especially some of these um, traders and they're not necessarily the ones who are building the tech companies out there, but they are utilizing stable coins for this purpose. Um, and of course, we also see in individuals, those who are perhaps more tech savvy, those young um, tech workers who are starting to explore ways in which they can access international um, international banking systems, for example, and the benefits that they do bring. Um, so those are some of the key use cases that we're seeing. And, and then, Butchie, how, how do you think about the challenges, um, particularly for that use case in, in B2B adoption? It seems like it solves a real problem, you know, for cross-border, you know, SMB, you know, import-export, you know, payments. Outside of, you know, education, you know, are there challenges from an infrastructure perspective or kind of what are, what are preventing, uh, what things are preventing that space from, from growing significantly? Um, there's... Off the top of my head, I'll think about two parts to, um, in terms of challenges, right? Number one would be simple, straightforward regulatory uncertainty, right? So you have a lot of people we talk to um, who are trying to facilitate some of this type of payments, right? Um, and some of their biggest concerns is my regulator doesn't, wouldn't allow me to do this. Um, I don't know how, so what license do you have? What license do you operate? Uh, because one of the services that we, Operates, which sort of ties back into this my second point, which is the UI, right? So the the UI UX of it all is is for a business that's been operating for hundred years, coming to tell them to use crypto, they're like, what are you talking about, right? Um, so they don't understand what you're saying. They're like, are you trying to scam me? Um, um, however, we've seen like very progressive businesses. Um, some of the businesses that we support. Today, some of our clients, um, they're some of the largest importers of fish into Nigeria, right? And their suppliers in Switzerland would accept crypto as payment, right? So um, they will use USDT to buy the fish from your suppliers, right? Um, and then we've had other type of services where we've had to um, bridge the gap for the clients, right? So we obscure that whole UX of moving from local to USDT to like, you know, we make it easy for them to just jump in and jump out to whatever currency that they want to, right? So that's to sort of bridge the gap. But like off the top, you have um, the regulatory where people are saying, you know, I don't, I'm not sure what the regulator is saying. You don't have any license. Um, how do I know to operate with you um, that I'm going to be safe? And then um, you now have the UX of it, right? How do I now go about completing a transaction, right? Um, but ultimately, right, and it's something very 
I'll tie back to what you said, I think, in the last episode, Kai. You said how um, for any Nigerian individual or business, it's something that's truly powerful for them to be able to access US dollar, right? In a way that's simple um, as possible. And I think that's what's playing out, right? USDT, um, USDC stables allow us to um, access in a way that has never happened before, right? And it's truly, truly powerful. So even though we have the challenges, we still have a lot, lot, lot of people, a lot of opportunity of pushing through um, those challenges to to push adoption. Yeah, Mauricio, what do you think about the USDT versus USDC? Like, it seems like US, like I hear USDT, you know, more and more in a number of emerging markets, including Nigeria. Like, what are the implications of that, you know, for, you know, dollar-backed stablecoins globally? I, I think the combination of uh, USDT uh, being one of the most popular uh, stable currencies on one of the most affordable blockchains is what prompts people to actually go and use it. Uh, Tron has been probably a staple in USDT, um, and it's uh, cheap to use. Um, you know, I come from Brazil. I have friends in Brazil who are like a fanboys of Tron because it's the cheapest blockchain to use. And I'm like, but you know that the gas fees are there for a reason, right? It's by design. It's, that's why you pay for stuff on the blockchain. It's to secure the transactions. So there is a lot of, um, I guess, educational gaps or misunderstanding. But to some extent, that is what, that's what the promise is. It's to be more accessible, more affordable, easier to use. And obviously, as, as Bucci said, UX, UI is important. So if you don't have to pay a lot of money to operate with that, then it, it's more money that you can use to actually go and transfer and pay for your pal or move peer to peer. So I think that's kind of uh, where these things kind of come into play. Uh, that is why um, the fact that we're starting to see increasingly more presence of stable coins in layer twos is important because layer twos offer that kind of price point in terms of uh, transaction fees. Uh, and also, uh, starting to see uh, cross-chain liquidity projects come out of the woodworks to facilitate even further. They're not bridges. They are uh, they are cross-chain liquidity protocols. And it's interesting to see how that is going to play an impact in emerging markets that are, if you can pay the same thing to use a more secure blockchain, wouldn't you? That's a big question. I think one one just takeaway for, for our audience, I like to think about, yeah, some of these things like USDT and, and Tron, like they could just be this like the, the Rorschach uh, test for like how US centric someone's mindset is. Like when you say USDT to a lot of people in the US, they're like, oh, well, why, why would you ever use that? You say Tron, and, oh, uh, and then you ask someone in Nigeria and they're like, yeah, that that's that's a product that, that I use. And so it, it's interesting to see the regional differences. And, and then as the space grows, I think the question is, yeah, do those differences remain or do they converge where there will be a, a global network effect? So maybe, maybe Maya, I'm curious, like if we fast forward, I know we're kind of going into the, the future here. Like, do you think that the strength and dominance of some of the existing stable coins and blockchains, uh, is that a network effect that's going to be hard to break? Or do you think as more education um, you know, happens, as more consumers happen, there will be a flight towards what could be perceived as you know, higher quality, safer stable coins or, or, you know, more secure blockchains? So I guess there's a couple of aspects to answer in that question, right? So firstly, network effects, right? 
network effects aren't always global. Sometimes they are regional in nature, right? And so whilst an organization or um, a specific stable coin may have strong network effects from, let's say, a Western perspective, doesn't mean that they have a strong network effect in every given region. And especially in the context of Nigeria, where P2P is so dominant, it that is also one of the reasons why USDT has such a strong grip, right? It's because it's high levels of liquidity, right? Um, locally. So I know that if I want to off-ramp or on-ramp, right, um, use it via USDT, it's I, I can do it, right? So just so, you know, we're trying to avoid the jargon as much as possible. On-ramping is going from fiat to crypto. So think of it as getting on the crypto train and off-ramping is going from crypto to fiat. So think of it as getting off the crypto train, right? Um, and so the network effects are really fundamental, but we also then need to think about network effects on a local slash regional level um, because it doesn't always marry up to the global level um, at the same time because typically the global level and historically when we think about crypto globally, it's been very much dominated by the West, right? So in reality, when we're talking about global crypto, we're historically we're talking about really western what's what's happening in the west um and we're starting to see that change right so one thing that i'm doing on the side is i've launched a project called emerging on chain and the whole premise is to demystify african crypto right through written content data databases intimate events etc um so we've got our database live of all what of all projects african projects um that are venture backed right crypto projects as well as like weekly deep dives in terms of like what's happened in crypto this week on the continent right so you're starting to see projects like that emerge as well um so definitely check it out just to like you know gotta gotta pump yourself up right um but to go back to your initial question kai so beyond network there is also um the point around costs is really really important right and we've we've kind of discussed that right but in a country where the average income GDP per capita is significantly lower than what we are used to in the West, we're even more cost sensitive. And that can have a huge impact, right? So whereas let's say two, three dollars may mean nothing to me sitting in London, you sitting in the US, etc. For some people in Nigeria, that is that's that could be their month's like what they're surviving on for a whole month, right? And don't get me wrong, these are not necessarily the mass adopters or initial adopters of crypto, but they are but the average Nigerian will be more sensitive to those prices and those gas fees and differences in gas fees than let's say the average American. Um and so that is really important and that's why um changes and developments in blockchain technology, whether that is movements and changes that Ethereum are making, um, layer two, like all of that jazz, like it's really important. And it does make a difference as to what will happen in the context of emerging markets where price sensitivity is higher when it comes or gas, gas fee sensitivity is higher, um, so to speak. Awesome. So we're going to take a quick pause here to hear from our sponsors, and we'll continue to talk about the future of crypto in Nigeria after a few short messages. Do not go anywhere. You don't want to miss this. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Visa, one of the world's leaders in digital payments. Crypto has opened up a new world of possibilities, and Visa is helping everyone take part. Consumers can now enjoy the freedom and flexibility of using their Visa crypto link cards for everyday purchases at millions of Visa accepting merchant locations around the world. 
Join us in this new money movement. Learn more at visa.com forward slash crypto. So welcome back. Uh, we've covered challenges. We've covered the big picture. We started to talk about the future, how we're moving forward. Um, so let's continue. In terms of opportunities, we were talking gas prices and stable coins, but this is not all that crypto is. Crypto is a wide range of use cases. And what are the most promising you guys think uh, those are in, in the context of Nigeria? What, what say you, uh, Bucci? Um, so I think sometimes when I describe crypto, I think crypto is sort of heaven sent for Africa because there's a lot of use cases uh, for Africa, like even the basic ones today, they're so important as has been said over and over again, just the ability to access us dollar like this is, um, is, is super, super important. But beyond that, reading through the draft policy, and then you think about our challenges around in Nigeria, data, identity management, um, registration of stuff like basic stuff, like we've just started to capture the national identity database, right? So as of today, that is not even, I mean, even though that's like that concept, it's a bit further out for the blockchain, it's a bit further out. But like when you think about what that can do for um, identity management, what that can do for actually capturing accurate records, something that we struggle with um, in not just Nigeria, a lot of African countries as well, and how that improves well-being. Plus, you factor that with the age of people who are eventually going to be jumping on this bandwagon. Median age in Nigeria is around 2021, 20, right? Um, when you consider that age range, there's a lot of opportunities that we can have with um, actually bringing people onto the blockchain and bringing people onto cryptocurrency, right? So when you think about cryptocurrency, recently the central bank launched the eNaira, right? Now the eNaira is central bank's version of our digital currency. And there is, there is, everyone has their opinion and thoughts of the implementation and the adoption so far, but that is a step in the direction of the blockchain, right? Um, even the question as to was, was it a blockchain that they actually launched? Because that, that's, that's, a, that's an entire conversation, right? But I mean, there's a lot that can happen in terms of payments, in terms of identity management, in terms of record keeping, um, even stuff like play to end, right? So we're talking a lot about cost, and um, the perfect analogy for me is Ethereum costs right now, maybe on blockchain, $2.53 um, to send on most exchanges, you'll probably be paying around $4.5 to $5, right? Mauricio, if you came to Nigeria, I'm telling you that both of us will have a great meal with $5, a legit great meal with $5, right? Now, I couldn't say that if I was in the US or in the UK. So those costs mean a lot to an average Nigeria or the African, right? So when we had the boom of um, play to earn games, like in Africa, it was huge. Like a lot of adoption we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of guilds being formed and being built, right? So you even have like a lot of, um, 
a lot of opportunity in the DeFi space, right? Bringing people onto DeFi and having them participate and being part of the network. Um, I think uh, that's some of the stuff that the future holds. But like, it's 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 so much because even when you think about some of the things being built today, um, recently I was looking at the white paper of a protocol that was built um, by some Nigerians, right? It's the PNS protocol. Now, that protocol allows you to map a phone number to an Ethereum wallet. When you think about Nigeria, where the adoption of the mobile phone is something around 98 or 100%, right? Um, it actually starts to tell you the level of possibility, right? Where everybody's phone number can be mapped on Ethereum and then it starts to um, reduce the barrier and improve the UI for um, customers using crypto on the blockchain. So the, the, the opportunities are very, very huge. And I think the future is very bright for crypto in the region and Nigeria specifically. Just on just on that point, I'm curious, Maya, how you think about this intersection of mobile money and crypto and, and DeFi. Like, you know, it seems like mobile. There are a lot of parallels of you know how mobile money emerged. But but my understanding is Nigeria it was, was kind of late to mobile money. There were other countries in Africa like Kenya that were earlier. Like, do you see them being integrated together? You you, you mentioned airtime is starting to be used, you know, as an on ramp. Like, what what are the the areas where you know, these worlds come together? So I think, um, and this is not just applicable to mobile money in Nigeria, this is a general thing, right? So crypto and DeFi, unless someone is going to start a global revolution, um, not advising for that, but unless someone is going to do that, fiat is here to stay, right? We're not, you. so you have to think about how you are connecting cryptocurrencies to the real world. In the context of Africa, and especially in the context of Nigeria, in the context of Africa, rather, like mobile money is has more has has had a higher um usage than we have seen generally in the west in the context of nigeria you're quite right right nigeria has perhaps been a bit later to mobile money when we think of mobile money in the forms of mpesa in kenya momo in ghana um airtel's mobile money currency which is really big in zambia for example can't remember the name of it apologies um it has been slightly slower but there is still fundamental elements of mobile money and that um, mobile first approach that are still really prevalent and popular in Nigeria. So, for example, airtime. Airtime is in, its, in itself, in many ways, a currency, right? And you're starting to see innovations around that. So when in the world of crypto specifically, when I was talking about the ability to go from um airtime as an on-ramp to USD stablecoins, that's actually a, a Kenyan company that's created that or pushed that really. And is now expanded into Nigeria. Their name is Fonbank. Um, Bucci mentioned PNS, a huge innovation. And there have been attempts of that before, right? So the founder of Bitseeker, Atchu, if I remember correctly, that's how he started, right? Trying to think of how can you convert, like how can you use mobile monies or phone numbers as a form of wallet, right? And that's very much mimicking what how mobile money systems work generally. So there is going to be intersection um, because mobile money and mobile money payments are huge on the continent. Now that will look different in different countries because mobile money has evolved differently in different countries, right? Um, so I, I think it will be a really interesting time and to touch upon the innovation, I think we're starting to see more, more, I, one thing I've always said is it's really important that we break away from the innovation in the world of Web3 just taking place in places like the US, right? Because 
as we've touched upon collectively, is a lot of the utility exists in emerging markets like we have on the continent of Africa. And so it's really fundamental that the innovation is happening where the utility is. Um, and that just will help us as an ecosystem to grow, expand faster. And we are seeing that. Um, there's talks of um, cryptocurrencies or stable coins that are pegged to a basket of African currencies. Um, and especially as we're seeing a number of nations, whether those are BRICS, whether you see Egypt trying to break away from the USD dominance, it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. So I'm always especially eager in the infrastructure style plays because we need to get that in order for us as an ecosystem to build and us to truly accelerate innovation. Um, and that's that's what excites me. Um, and also, I'm also really excited to see more of the creatives come to the forefront, especially in Nigeria, because one thing that is happening is Afrobeats and African culture is going global. And Nigeria is a key player in that. Um, and I think, especially with um, blockchain technology, whether that's NFTs, etc., there's a chance social tokens blah, blah. Um, there's a chance for creators actually to retain more of the wealth that they are generating. And I think that's really important and a new development that places like Nigeria could really benefit from um, as a country that is really pushing their culture globally um, at a really incredible breakneck speed. And that's an exciting thing that I'm also looking out for. And interestingly, one thing I say about Nigeria is there's a closer connection between the creative space and the tech space than we have, for example, in the West. Um, and so you're starting, you've already seen some artists you know embrace crypto in different forms whether that's davido having his own social token whether that's um i believe it was rema who um was it, did he do an nft project um but there's there's loads of different artists who are coming to the fore and embracing crypto in different ways um and so it's a really exciting trend as well to see good uh we're, we're about to finish but i i wanted to uh have uh the two of you to Help us understand a little bit. If if all of this that you just described is to move forward and put Nigeria into the center of the crypto adoption in the continent and, and potentially globally, what are the three things, two things, the one thing, however many, that will enable that and has to happen in the country? Okay, let me take a stab at this. Um, I know, I know it's not an easy question. But we're not here for the easy. We're here for the good. <laughs> so one thing that absolutely has to happen is, to put it in a very nice way, the government has to get their acts together, right? Um, what happened in 2021, I know a startup who had a, so they had a potential investment, which they've been working on since 2020. Right. And that investment came through, the term sheet came through in January of 2020, 2021. And before it got finally signed, it got pulled. Right. So you have people who are doing things. First, you have the fact that people can interact with banks, right? Which is crazy because an unintended consequence of that is that everything has gone underground. So while you're able to tax and make revenue from, like, when you think about it, a single exchange like Quidax. Our trade volume is more than the Nigerian Stock Exchange. Please don't come for us. But our trade volume on a daily basis is more than the Nigerian Stock Exchange, right? Um, so, so that presents a very huge revenue generation source, right? 
So when you cut that off, you, you take a lot of things on the ground. Binance was huge in Nigeria before the bad happened, like the trade volume was insane. Now, when you remove all of that, everything goes on the ground. So once there's regulation, you have a lot more activities you can control, you can generate funds from, and then you have control because then you, you can insist people do KYC, right? Which we do. Um, so, so regulation is super important. And then most importantly, you can now have um, investment and investor confidence because they would start to invest in startups that, that bring all of the innovation and bring people on board. Love it. Before I wrap up, Maya, your one thing that needs to happen to enable all of that. I was going to say government as well, um, but let me think of something else. Um, so I think in terms of one thing, I'll go back to the point I made before, right? Innovate. There needs to be more innovation where the utility is happening. And the ability to innovate is a luxury, right? And a privilege in many ways, because you have to have the financial resources and also means to take the space to innovate. And so one thing I'd like to see more of is these foreign crypto companies that express interest in African crypto saying, hey, let's actually do something and work with local people on the ground to help and um, drive that innovation forward locally, because we have the talent and we have the capabilities we just need sometimes the support um because innovation is a luxury and that's something that at emerging on chain we are building towards facilitating as well lovely awesome so that wraps up today's discussion thank you all so much for joining us uh so where can people find more about you and the things that you're doing uh maya so you can find me on Twitter at Caddle Maya. So my surname followed by my first name and on LinkedIn, Maya Caddle. Um, I am the only one in the world. So anyone else is a scam. And then, of course, if you want to find out about my new project, Immersion on Chain, um, just on Twitter, it's at Immersion. So like Emerging Markets on Chain um, or one word. Awesome. Bucci, how can people find more about you in Quidex? Uh, I'm Bucci Okoro underscore on Twitter, Bucci Okoro on LinkedIn. Um, there are a few of us, uh, just find the right one. And Quidax is at Quidax Global. Thank you. Awesome. Kai. On Twitter at Kai Sheffield and visa.com slash crypto. And you can find me at Xerox Mauricio on Twitter, Mauricio Magaldi on LinkedIn, and of course, 11fs.com. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, follow our podcast so you never miss an episode. We have lots of exciting shows coming up, and we can't wait to share that with you. If you can wait until the next episode, take a look at the many, many previous episodes and get yourself properly immersed in the world of crypto. And if you really love it, please leave us a review. It helps us make it better and helps other people find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Blockchain Insider or email us at podcasts at 11FS.com. This is all for today. Stay rare, stay weird, LFG.